Good morning. Good to be here. Thank you for the invitation. As uh, John said, we've, uh, my wife and I have been looking after Ethan, Leah and Miriam over this weekend. We're still standing, just, and uh, it's good to be here. But uh, My wife sends her apologies for not being here today. Uh, Leah had a, a bad night last night coughing, so uh, she's had decided to stay in, and Miriam decided she wants to stay in with her. So it's just me and Ethan this morning, so it's good to be here. Turn with me, if you would, to the book of Joshua, Joshua chapter 5. Let's read the whole chapter. Joshua 5 from the first verse. Now when all the Amorite kings west of the Jordan and all the Canaanite kings along the coast heard how the Lord had dried up the Jordan before the Israelites until we had crossed over, their hearts sank and they no no longer had the courage to face the Israelites. At that time the Lord said to Joshua, make flint knives and circumcise the Israelites again. So Joshua made flint knives and circumcised the Israelites at Gibeath Haraloth. Now this is why he did so. All those who came out of Egypt, all the men of military age, died in the desert on the way after leaving Egypt. All the people that came out had been circumcised, but all the people born in the desert during the journey from Egypt had not. The Israelites had moved about in the desert 40 years until all the men who were of military age when they left Egypt had died since they had not obeyed the Lord. For the Lord had sworn to them that they would not see the land that he had solemnly promised their fathers to give us, a land flowing with milk and honey. So he raised up their sons in their place and these were the ones Joshua circumcised. They were still uncircumcised because they had not been circumcised on the way. And after the whole nation had been circumcised, they remained where they were in camp until they were healed. Then the Lord said to Joshua, Today I have rolled away the reproach of Egypt from you. So the place has been called Gilgal to this day. On the evening of the 14th day of the month, While camped at Gilgal on the plains of Jericho, the Israelites celebrated the Passover. The day after the Passover, that very day, they ate some of the produce of the land, unleavened bread and roasted grain. The manna stopped the day after they ate this food from the land. There was no longer any manna for the Israelites, but that year they ate of the produce of Canaan. Now when Joshua was near Jericho, he looked up and saw a man standing in front of him with a drawn sword in his hand. Joshua went up to him and asked, Are you for us or for our enemies? Neither, he replied. But as commander of the army of the Lord, I have now come. Then Joshua fell face down to the ground in reverence and asked him, What message does my Lord have for his servant? The commander of the Lord's army replied, Take off your sandals, for the place where you are standing is holy. And Joshua did so. Let's just pray together, shall we? 
Father, we thank you for your word. Thank you for the power of your word. And we pray, Lord, that you'll teach us this morning many things. We ask, Lord, that you'll open our hearts and minds. Give us understanding, give us obedience, we pray. In the name of Jesus. Amen. Linda and I took uh, the grandchildren to Southport yesterday. It's a lovely day. And uh, we hadn't gone very far when we heard that familiar cry from the back, are we there yet? <laughs> and uh, it kept repeating, as those of you that are parents will know about that. And uh, we got there eventually, of course. And even coming home, are we there yet? But imagine travelling by foot, doing that constantly for 40 years, wandering in the desert. Such was the lot of the children of Israel. They'd escaped from Egypt, and now here they were wandering in the desert. I'm sure most of us are familiar with the story of their escape. We won't go into it in any detail now, but the Lord had rescued them. But despite his rescue, there'd been many times of grumbling, many times of disobedience, and God was not pleased. And yet, despite the Lord's anger with them for their disobedience, there were still blessings to be had. Water from the rock, manna for their daily nourishment, his presence going with them. God's dealings began with Abraham. Now here they were in the promised land. But what a journey, 40 years in the desert. Some of these blessings can be found in the book of Deuteronomy. Let me just read one or two verses from it. You don't need to turn to it. It says this in Deuteronomy 8. Remember how the Lord your God led you all the way in the wilderness these 40 years to humble and test you in order to know what was in your hearts, whether or not you would keep his commands. He humbled you, causing you to hunger and then feeding you with manna, which neither you nor your ancestors had known, to teach you that man does not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord. Your clothes did not wear out, and your feet did not swell during these 40 years. And then later on in Deuteronomy we read, During the 40 years that I led you through the wilderness, your clothes did not wear out, nor did your sandals on your feet. Anybody got the same clothes they had 40 years ago? Still wearing them? Imagine, ladies, no shoes for 40 years. How would that be? (laughs) Well, the lesson for us here is that no matter what our circumstances, we can still be thankful. God does provide. God does bless us. doesn't necessarily give us what we want, but he gives us what we need. Well, the passages we've just read are the culmination of those 40 painful years wandering in the desert are we there yet I'm sure the children of Israel asked that many times well now they are here they're in the promised land a a land promised to them many years ago while they were still in captivity in Egypt they were free a miraculous escape led by Moses under God's direction but those grumblings Those times of disobedience had dire consequences for that generation of people. They were not allowed to enter the promised land. 
But now after those 40 years, there was this time for God to reaffirm his covenant with his people. That covenant that he'd made many years ago. We see it here in Joshua. Joshua is told to make flint knives to circumcise the people again. Or even for the first time. Because the generation that were circumcised had all died off. They died in the wilderness on the way after leaving Egypt. But those born in the wilderness, the ones who would inherit and enter the promised land, they needed to be circumcised. God had promised that those who disobeyed him would not see the fulfillment of his promise. So the old generation's gone. The new generation now on the threshold of a new beginning and they had to be right with God. So this uh, act of uh, circumcision, this covenant, needed to be reaffirmed. It was a symbol of his covenant with his people. It was a relationship that was foundational to the people that God called my people. Now the Jordan had been crossed. So here was a symbol of the people passing from death to life. They'd received water from the rock from their journey, a symbol of the life-giving water that only God provides and the manna, daily nourishment for the feeding of the body. These are the blessings that God provides, not only for the people of Israel, but for us even today. He nourishes us, he feeds us spiritually through the word of God. I wonder, are we often thankful for those things or do we just take them for granted? Are we a thankful people or do we fail to see those blessings? So here there were the, here are the blessings of the past. What about the blessings of the promised land? Well, we see that in verse 11. The day after the Passover, that very day they ate some of the produce of the land, unleavened bread, and roasted grain. The manna stopped the day after they ate the food from the land. There was no longer any manna for the Israelites, but that year they ate the produce of Canaan. So same clothes, same sandals, same food for 40 years. Imagine that. Now I like a bit of chicken with a bit of rice maybe, some vegetables, but I couldn't eat it every day for 40 years, could you? But I guess when you're hungry... You'll eat anything. And the Israelites had no choice but to eat the manna. Imagine how they felt now. They were in the promised land, the land flowing with milk and honey. How succulent that food must have tasted. See, Ralph's here this morning. I was reminded of one of the old CCC songs. Twelve spies went to spy in Canaan. One of the lines says, Some saw the grapes in clusters fall. And the uh, reports of Joshua and Caleb and the other spies, one of the verses in Numbers says this, they cut off a branch bearing a single cluster of grapes. Two of them carried it on a pole between them, along with some pomegranates and figs. Imagine that, a single cluster of grapes carried by two men on a pole. You see, when God blesses, he blesses us from the abundance of his riches. And here, he's blessing his people. So what great anticipation they must have had as they crossed the Jordan and entered the promised land they were now eating its produce. 
Here they were, as it says in verse 10, camped at Gilgal on the plains of Jericho. What a vast crowd there must have been there. Some commentators suggest that between one and a half and two and a half million people left Egypt, with maybe the same number entering the promised land. But they were in an alien land. A promised land, yes, but a hostile environment, surrounded by their enemies. And it perhaps gives fresh light to a very familiar verse, which I'm sure we all know. We find it in Psalm 23. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. Here were the children of Israel, eating the produce of the land, but surrounded by their enemies. They were inside of Jericho, a city that needed to be captured, needed to be overthrown. The next chapter, Joshua 6, verse 2, tells us that the Lord had already delivered Jericho into Joshua's hand. Preparing the way. The battle's already won. It's not even started, but God's already won the battle. But how was he to do this? Well, again, I'm sure you're all familiar with the story of Jericho. We won't dwell on it in any great detail here, but simply to say it was a great fortified city. Humanly speaking, it would need a strategic plan of action to take the city. Joshua 2 tells us that those spies were sent into Jericho. And then in the previous chapter, Joshua 4, we read that about 40,000 armed for battle crossed over before the Lord to the plains of Jericho for war. The battle was set. The people were ready. But how could they possibly capture Jericho? Earlier reports from the spies stated that the cities in Canaan had walls that reached up to the skies. Heavily fortified. And the people were strong and powerful. Maybe Joshua was pondering these things as they prepared for battle. And on the eve of Israel's attack, Joshua decided he'd go and personally survey the area surrounding the city. Again, inspecting its fortifications and the layouts, trying to put a plan into action. How can we possibly take this city? And then we read in verse 13 of chapter 5. Now when Joshua was near Jericho, he looked up, saw a man standing in front of him with a drawn sword in his hand. Joshua went up to him and asked, are you for us or for our enemies? Neither, he replied, but as commander of the army of the Lord, I have now come. Then Joshua fell face down to the ground in reverence and asked him, what message does my Lord have for his servant? The commander of the Lord's army replied, Take off your sandals, for the place where you are standing is holy. And Joshua did so. Joshua looked up. You know, sometimes when we're considering what's happening with us in our lives, we get so fixed on those things, we don't perhaps see other things that are going on around about us. We're focused on the task in hand. Are we aware that God is there. And that phrase that Joshua looked up conveys an element of surprise. How long this man had been standing there, we don't know. But I'm sure it was a surprise to Joshua. There was a man stood before him, a drawn sword in his hand, indicating that he was ready 
for battle. Who was he? Joshua needed to know. And so he asked him, are you for us or for, for our enemies? A great act of courage and bravery from Joshua. In the first verses of the book of Joshua, we read of God's commissioning of him to be the leader of his people. And he was commanded to be strong and courageous. And then again, be strong and very courageous. But there was also a condition. Be careful to obey, obey all the law my servant Moses gave you. Do not turn from it to the right or to the left, that you may be successful wherever you go. Keep this book of the law always on your lips. Meditate on it day and night, so that you may be careful to do everything written in it. Then you will be prosperous and successful. Three times God commands Joshua to be strong and courageous. But that was the condition. Keep the book of the law always on your lips. Meditate on it. Be careful to do everything written in it. I wonder, do we do that? Do we study God's word? Do we keep his law always on our lips? Do we meditate on it? When God calls, he always equips. I wonder if God's calling you to do something for him today. Are we keeping the book of the law? always on our lips, meditating on it, and so on. Not easy to do for us, is it? We lead busy lives, but we need to set time aside to study his word. But this was what Joshua was called to do. And so it is with us. Are we holding back? Are we fearful how we'll be able to do it? Well, we hear the voice of scripture this morning. We step out in faith. He equips, he will grant us success so says Joshua are you for us or for our enemies in other words whose side are you on should I fight you now or are you going to join us in the battle and the reply is quite astonishing when you think about it verse 14 he says neither I'm not on anybody's side If you're as old as me, you'll remember, I'm sure, times in the playground at school or on the fields or maybe in the street. Don't so much see children playing in the street these days. But you lined up and you're having a game of football maybe and uh, you had picked two people as team captains and usually the best players and they would go down the line picking who they want on their team. And you are praying like nothing else that you weren't going to be the last to be picked because that means you were no good or you weren't very popular. It's nice to be picked, isn't it? Good to be chosen. We want to be chosen, to be loved, to be appreciated. However, this reply to Joseph, uh, to Joshua, I'm sure initially was confusing, particularly when the man revealed his identity. Neither, he replied, but as commander of the army of the Lord, I have now come. Then Joshua fell face down to the ground in reverence and asked him, what message does my Lord have for his servant? This was the commander of the army of the Lord. 
Was it not the Lord who had commissioned Joshua for this role in leading his people into the promised land? How then could he possibly not be on his side? Well, I believe there's a very important message for us here. The Israelites had crossed into Canaan. Now they're outside one of its greatest cities. It's a siege. It's a stalemate between Israel and Jericho. Chapter 6, verse 1 tells us that the gates of Jericho were securely barred because of the Israelites. No one went out. No one came in. An impossible situation. But there's another army ready to fight here. It's the army of the Lord. Don't you want to be on his side in the battle? Don't you want to know that the Lord is fighting for you? Particularly in these days of attacks against the Christian Christian church, the attacks on morality, the attacks on uh, the status of marriage, basic human dignity. We see it all around us, don't we? In the American Civil War in the 1860s, a minister told President Abraham Lincoln that he hoped that God was on their side. Lincoln's response was cutting and biblical. Sir, my concern is not whether God is on our side. My greatest concern is to be on God's side, for God is always right. And that's the point. Not that God is on our side, but are we on God's side? For God is always right. Do our lives reflect what he wants from us and what he plans for us? What do we often do? I've done it myself. We make our plans. We decide we're going to do this or that. And then we say to God, could you bless those plans which I've made, please? I want to move into this profession. I want to move house into this area. I'd like to serve God in this capacity, maybe in this part of the world. Maybe what we want, but is it what God wants? I understand from uh, Tim and Joanne that you're looking for a minister here. In my home church at Union Hall, we were looking for a minister, a pastor around the turn of the century. We registered with a Christian organization. That's like a bit of a clearinghouse, people looking for a, a, a ministry. Church is looking for a pastor or, or a leader of some, some sort. Um, and we had literally uh, hundreds of CVs from different people. And uh, we, I must say we were very surprised at some of the conditions that were put down <coughs> in some of the CDs. I'd like to work CVs. I'd like to work in this part of the country. I, I need a minimum salary of X. I could only come if there was a manse. It surprised us. I wonder if that's true of us. Are we stepping out in faith? Are we seeking to step out in faith? Are we asking to God to bless our plans? Or are they his plans? Are we truly stepping out in faith? Maybe we need to step out into the unknown. We need to rely on him to see us through. To put us in the place where he wants us to be. For God is always right. So as Lincoln said, my concern is not whether God is on our side. My greatest concern is to be on God's side. Is that true of us, I wonder? Well, here is the commander of the army of the Lord stood before him. 
And Joshua falls face down on the ground with reverence, in reverence, and asks, what message does my Lord have for me? And the, the message is not, yet yeah, just walk around the wall of Jericho and they'll fall down. No. Verse 15, the commander of the Lord's army replied, take off your sandals for the place where you're standing is holy. And Joshua did so. There had to be an acknowledgement first of the holiness of God. This is holy ground. Any place where God reveals himself is holy ground. And I'm sure you won't need me to remind you of the same similar theme of Moses at the burning bush where he too had to take off his sandals because the place where he was standing was holy ground. Commentary on these verses says this, we are accustomed to say of a person for whom we have a great affection that we love the very ground he treads upon. Thus Joshua must show his reverence for this divine person. We must not tread the ground he stood on with his dirty shoes. What a humbling moment that must have been for Joshua. But also a surprising moment. God was not on his side. The commander of God's army had not come to fight for Joshua or the people of Israel. He'd come to fight for God's plans. And what mattered was that Joshua was on God's side. So what about your plans? Your hopes, your aspirations, your ambitions, are they your plans? Or are they God's plans? Have they been made without reference to him? Or will you patiently wait for him to reveal his perfect will to you? Maybe he'll ask you to do something completely outside your comfort zone. Maybe it's from a human perspective, it's quite impossible, unbelievable what he's asking you to do. Maybe Joshua had the same thought when he eventually understood what the plan was. Walk round Jericho seven times, and then on the seventh day, seven times, and the walls will fall down. Really, God, is that really what you want to do? Well, yes, Joshua, that's my plan. We need to be on God's side. His plan is always right. Well, we mentioned earlier, Joshua 6, verse 2. The secret of Joshua's success. See, I have delivered Jericho into your hands, along with its king, and it's fighting men. He'd already won the battle before the battle had already started. Because God is always right. And as we draw to a conclusion, who was, who was this commander of the Lord's army? King James Version of the Bible describes the commander in verse 14 as the captain of the Lord's, house, Lord's host. Let me read Matthew Henry's commentary on this verse. Here were now, as of old, two hosts, a host of Israelites ready to engage the Canaanites and a host of angels to protect them therein. And he, as captain of both, conducts the host of Israel and commands the host of angels to their assistance. Perhaps in allusion to this, Christ is called, in Hebrews 2, the captain of our salvation. And in Isaiah 55, 4, a leader and commander to the people. 
Those cannot be but victorious that have such a captain. He now came as captain to review the troops, to animate them, and to give the necessary orders for the besieging of Jericho. Was it Jesus stood there in front of, Jer- in front of uh, Joshua? I'm sure it was. I believe it to be so. Jesus is present through all the pages of history, all the pages of the Old Testament. The Old Testament points towards the coming of the Saviour. <clears throat> so let me ask you again this morning, as I ask myself, are you on God's side? On the side of his commander, the Lord Jesus Christ, there's no safer, no better place to be. Let's pray together, shall we? Father, we thank you for that reminder from your word that God is always right. Father, you are always right. And we pray that you help us, Lord, as we lay our plans before you. Lord, help us to be seeking out your face, seeking out your will for us. Help us not to fall into that trap, Lord, of making our own plans and asking you to bless them. For you may have something totally different for us. And if there's anyone here, Lord, seeking your face, if there's anyone here, Lord, seeking guidance, seeking understanding of what you have for them, we pray, Lord, that you'll reveal yourself to them. Reminding them, Lord, that you are always right. Your plans are always perfect. Help us to be obedient to the call that you place upon us, we pray. In the name of Jesus. Amen.